Uh, we're in the middle of looking at 1 Thessalonians, a great book of the Bible, and we're up to chapter 4. Uh, as I said, I watched uh, Case for Christ the other night, uh, which was great to watch, but I also watched another movie the other night. And uh, who knows what this one's movie's called? Has anyone watched it? Wonder. Yeah. Make sure you've got a box of tissues. If you watch this movie, make sure you've got a box of tissues. I don't know whether it's just me and I'm getting over 50 now and tear ducts start to flow or I'm not sure. It's a funny thing, isn't it? You get there and suddenly you've never cried until you're at least 35. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those movies. It's a movie that uh, it just grabs you. Uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenal story about a little boy called Augie who's underneath the helmet. He has a particular condition that uh, meant that he had a huge amount of operations just to try and get him to breathe and see and hear. And so therefore his face is quite uh, deformed, I suppose, in one sense. And it's him going off to school. Uh, but uh, basically the movie's about acceptance. It's about how one becomes accepted. It's about how you go about that, how you live about that. Uh, you get to hear his story. You get to hear his sister's story. You get to hear his friend's story. And, and together, all of it's about how you become accepted and how you be part of uh, a place where people love you and care for you and, and how you go about that and how you do those sorts of things. And in one of the scenes, Augie's in a classroom and he's wanting to be liked and he's wanting to please uh, his friends and so he's got a little guy beside him and they're in the middle of a science uh, exam and uh, Augie's really good at science uh, but his friend's not or his friend to be, hopefully to be, isn't. So to wanting to please his friend, what he does is he shifts his science paper with all his answers across and the, the boy goes, oh wow, and so he copies down and he gets, uh, so they can both get the right thing. So Augie does this, and, then, and he gets a smile from the bloke, and from then on they become friends. Uh, it's interesting what we do, isn't it? To please people, to be part of, uh, to feel like we're part of a group. Uh, I wonder what sort of things you used to do to try and please people. What things when you were growing up, or are growing up, uh, or are grown up, what sort of things do you do to please people? What sort of things do you go about? What sort of things do you try and do? What sort of things do you do? Do you bring an apple to your teacher? Do you give a flower to your mum and dad? What are the things that you do to please those around you? Or what are the things that you do to please God? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Do we think about that question? What are the things that we are to do or that we do to please God? Well, the good news is that God doesn't leave us in the dark about what it is that pleases him. Uh, and he, uh, he tells us what those things are. And when we get to 1 Thessalonians today, we find out that he actually outlines a bit of that. Uh, if you've been with us in the journey in 1 Thessalonians, you know that uh, Paul's been writing to the people in Thessalonica and, and he's overjoyed at how they've heard the good news of Jesus uh, they've put their trust in Jesus, they're living for Jesus, and they're doing that more and more. Uh, he loves the fact that they're loving people. He loves the fact that their lives have been transformed. They went from living for idols, living for themselves, living to please all these other things over there, to trusting and believing in Jesus, and they're wanting to live for him. And at the end of chapter 3, there's a great part, isn't it, that Paul prays to the Lord that their love will grow more and more. 
And he prays to the Lord that the God will buttress, will hold their hearts so that they'll be blameless and holy, so that they'll live lives that reflect well on God, that please God. And so in chapter 4, he changes tack a little bit. He goes from talking about how he's wonderfully overjoyed about these guys to chapter 4, he now moves to what it looks like to continue to please God. Now remember, you don't get to be right with God by doing things for God. That's what Paul said before, isn't it? It's as we trust in Jesus. Once we are his though, once we're in his family, once we've been part of his family, then there are things that we do that he wants us to do, that he wants us to live and to please him. And so in chapter 4 he moves towards that. Uh, so this we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Uh, next we're going to have a slight change because I'm going to be away. Uh, but then the last couple of weeks we'll be looking at more about what Paul says is the way that we are to live to please God. So I'm looking forward to working through this with you. Uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Uh, Heather's going to come up and read it for us. It's also on the screen. And how do I turn these on, Les? Let's push the button. Beautiful. You got that one, Ben? 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 12. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and, in, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you may, will not be dependent on anybody. Amen. Uh, it's a great passage, uh, a challenging passage, and it may be quite confronting for us when we get a little bit through this. So if there's a point in time where you feel that, uh, I just want to warn you now, there may be moments that you feel that throughout this talk. Um, but I want to encourage you that at the end, uh, if you want to come down and pray, I'd love to pray with you through that and uh, work that through. Uh, you might be saying, well, what's he about to say? Uh, <laughs> But we'll work through it together and we'll work through the passage together. Uh, it's great, isn't it? It's a great passage. Uh, but we see there right in those first couple of verses is the theme for it, isn't it? Uh, as I said before, where we're at, Paul's now moving on to what it looks like to live a life 
that pleases God. Now, he's already hinted a lot about that, hasn't he, in the previous chapters. It's about living a life worthy. It's about living a life of love. It's about living a life of hope, of faith. It's all those things together. Uh, but now he comes down and, and hits it a little bit more on the ground, doesn't he? He actually goes towards some specific things that relate to the Thessalonians and relate to us. But there it is, right in the beginning, isn't it? He says, As for your other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living. Like it's not that these guys aren't living to please God, but Paul's saying, well, I want to keep you doing this, doesn't he? Uh, if you go through Thessalonians, he says that a lot, doesn't he? I want you to keep doing this more and more. I want to encourage you to do this more and more. So what he's saying, as followers of Jesus, there's never a point where we should be in a rut. As followers of Jesus, we should always be moving, we should always be growing and moving forward. Now, there's moments when sometimes we feel like we are in a rut, or we might even be feeling that we're going backwards downhill, but what Paul wants to encourage us to do is to keep moving forward, keep growing to be more like Jesus in every way. Uh, they used to say, doesn't it, the, the only difference between the rut and the grave is the depth. We don't want to be in a rut. We need to keep moving forward. And Paul encourages us to do that. And he encourages us to do that here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is that we are to live lives to please God. Uh, and the picture here, the, it's a bit hard for us to grasp, but if you've been reading this in the Greek text, you, Paul actually uses picture language. He uses the picture language that when you come to know and trust in Jesus, this idea of living has this idea of walking. The word living and walking can almost be interchanged. And what he's saying is that we need to, when we put our trust in Jesus, then we are to walk with Jesus. Living to please Jesus means to be walking with Jesus. It's a picture of like the, the old picture, isn't it? You know, the old poem of uh, the footprints poem. Uh, the two footprints going on. But here it's actually two footprints all the way in a sense. Uh, the idea is the picture is that when we put our trust and belief in Jesus, then we walk beside Jesus. We walk with him in life. Uh, it, it's a very intimate picture. Uh, the picture that he's trying to us is almost like when we put our trust in Jesus, when he reaches down and he grabs us, when we recognise that our life uh, is not right, our life with God is not right, and we can't save ourselves, when Jesus pulls us up out of that and he holds us, he doesn't let us go. So, okay, guys, just travel on and work it out from here. There's a picture that he's got our hand and he walks with us in that journey. And that's what a life pleasing to God is, a life that is walking along intimately, almost hand in hand with Jesus in everything that we do. That's a challenge, isn't it? That means that there is no place and no time when we aren't walking with Jesus or that we shouldn't be walking with Jesus that we should be walking with him hand in hand all the time, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that we're there. Now, sometimes I think our footprints in the sand veer, don't they? And we want to let go and take off. And we head off down the track and we find a different way. But the picture is here that what God wants us to do, a life that's pleasing to him, is living, walking with Jesus, hand in hand, walking with him in life. Now, sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Uh, but it's a beautiful picture too. Isn't it? I don't know whether you... I love it when you see parents walking down the street and they've got hold of their child and they've got them because there's no safer place than that is there. A place where the mother or the father 
lovingly, caringly, takes a child down the street, doesn't let them run onto the road and get hurt, keeps them on the path, takes them down, feeds them, cares for them, looks after them. It's a beautiful picture. And that's the picture of what it is to walk with Jesus, to walk with him. But sometimes it's not easy, is it? Because sometimes it looks like the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Sometimes I think as we follow Jesus, I don't know about you, but sometimes as I'm following Jesus, I sometimes think maybe it would be good just to jump over there for a while, wouldn't it? You know, it looks really attractive over there, living without Jesus. Man, it looks like they're having some fun. Sometimes it looks like it's really attractive just to head over there for a while and go over to the other side of the fence. Oh, just maybe even if I just dabble a little bit. Look, I'll just stick the toe over. But you see, if you stick the toe over, and we've all done it, haven't we? And if we end up over there, we don't realise until we get for a little bit longer that actually the grass that looks greener is the grass that's dead. Someone once said, didn't they, if you, uh, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but you've got to still mow the lawn. Uh, and sometimes that lawn gets really tough and knotty and horrible. And actually, as we dig deeper and as we find ourselves on that side of the fence, that actually destruction, hurt, pain is all over there. Because you see, the best side of the fence or the best place to be is walking hand in hand with Jesus because he loves you more than anything or anyone ever could. And he's the one that actually wants to lead you into life everlasting and life that's to the full. That's where he wants you with him, but sometimes we're tempted, aren't we? But the best places to be is beside him, guys. I think as you're growing up, that's harder, isn't it? The older you get, sometimes the more you realise that it doesn't look as green over there because you see the brokenness of the world. But as you're growing up younger, you think, yeah, no, maybe it's okay over there. But can I guarantee you it's dangerous, it's painful, and it hurts. And Paul knows that, and God knows that, and God knows that one of the biggest places we're tempted to jump the fence is in regards to sex. He knows that the biggest temptation for many of us here this morning and many of us out there in the world is sex. He knows it because God created it and God knows how good it is and he knows that in a corrupted world how attractive it can be outside of his context and his motives. And you might say, well, you know, this world's completely obsessed with sex and it's probably true, isn't it? Just about everything we watch on TV today has some connotation towards that. Do you know what the most highly rated show television show in Australia has been for the last couple of weeks? Married at first sight. And you know why that's the case? Because this year, two of the couples decide to have an affair on the other side and everyone wants to find out what happens. And what happens? It was devastating, wasn't it? Blew up in both sides' faces. But that's, how, that's the society we live in. Uh, and we have it prolific, don't we? It's everywhere around us. Just give it a dabble. It's going to be okay, guys. Just try it over there. You know, it's not a problem. Just, it's fine. You'll be right. 
And sometimes we think that that's just our world and just our time. Well, let me tell you now, if you think that, then you've completely missed the whole plot of it because sex has been an issue from day three <laughs> or six or whatever it was. Six, wasn't it? Day six. Day six, that's where it all went skewy, guys. And it's continued on. And God knows that because God created He knows how good it is, all right? He knows that, that that was part of the idea. It was supposed to be enjoyable and wonderful and beautiful. And He knows that's where we're going to get tempted the most. And He says that back to the Thessalonians. These are 2,000 odd years ago. What's the first thing He talks about when He's talking about living to please God? He doesn't talk about your finance, He doesn't talk about uh, your house or hospitality talks about sex because you know back then it wasn't unusual for blokes specifically uh, women were more abused than the other way uh, but men basically if they were married then they were expected to have a slave concubine they were expected to go to the temple and have sex with the prostitutes there they were, ex they were expected that if they really wanted to have sex at any time anywhere then they could pretty much that was just it and particularly in Thessalonica and in Greek heritage, uh, the whole temple sex was, was huge. So actually, people specifically, there were prostitutes who lived in the temples and their job, in one sense, was just to be there so that blokes could come and have sex with them so that they could please the gods of fertility, so that they could have kids and so that the land would be fertile. So blokes would just go and have as much sex as they like with the prostitutes there. It was prolific. Uh, when we went to Pompeii last year, and we went round, and it's an amazing place, Pompeii. It's phenomenal with, just to think about that this place was here. But the tour guide said there was two things that Pompeii was uh, famous for. One was theatre and performances, and the other one was sex. It was everywhere. We even went into a place that had this picture, which I don't want to describe for you, but this picture where you could go, it was a place for prostitutes. It was this whole house that they'd set up and designed for that and it was open and on the street and public for everyone. So it's not just our culture, guys. Don't think we're the only people in the world to have to struggle with this. This is something that's been going on from the beginning, as I said. And Paul was saying to the Thessalonians that if you want to please God, then you need to please God in your sex life as well. Look at what he says in verse... There. It's God's will for you that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you, you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. Now these are great verses for us to be thinking about because in those verses there's not only what we should avoid but what we should do. And the first one is that we should avoid sexual immorality. That is sexual impurity. The word there is porneia which basically means any form of sexual activity outside of a heterosexual, monogamous marriage. So God's story throughout the whole of the Bible is that there is a particular context and a particular motive that goes with sex. He doesn't say don't do it, he says go for it in a particular context and a particular motive, the way that you go about it. Uh, and all the way through, the first thing he says to us is that there's one way, isn't there? That God's context for sex is for heterosexual, monogamous, married, loving relationships. That doesn't mean we've got it right. That doesn't mean it always looks like it's good. 
But that's his context. That's where God says is the best context for it. He, he says that for our benefit, not to hinder us, not to stop us. He said that's the best place for it to be. But that's where you're going to find the most fulfillment when it's in that context. He says outside of that context, what happens? He goes on down to the passage, doesn't he? He says that there's pain and abuse and hurt. You see, in our world, the context is that you have sex when you want, wherever you want, with whoever you want. That's our context, isn't it? Pretty much, that's what you get taught at school. Uh, the thing at school is harm minimisation. That's the terminology, isn't it? It's harm minimisation. So you just put in a place a number of things so that you don't get a disease or you don't get pregnant. Now, they're the two harm minimisations, aren't they? You don't get pregnant and you don't get a disease. But they don't talk about harm to the individual, to the people who are involved, to the families that are involved, to the, your relationships that continue on from here, from where it goes down the line. But God does because he feels about all of you and the whole of you. And so he says the one context that is going to be good for you and for society is a sex in a heterosexual, monogamous, married, loving relationship. And he says that there is a motive in that, isn't there too? There's a manner in that. And he says that that needs to be done. Sex is to be loving, honouring and holy. So it's not just if you get married you have the right to have sex. It's a loving, honouring and holy. It's good to be thinking of, isn't it? That's what we need to be thinking in all contexts of all relationships, isn't it? That they are to be loving, honouring and holy. Wherever you are and whatever you're in, all of those together. So can I say to you, uh, if you're married, this applies to you, doesn't it, just as much as it does to anyone else. One is you need to know, not go jumping the fence. It looks green. Sometimes it looks really attractive. Don't jump the fence, guys. Don't do it. Or girls, by the way. Guys is non-gender specific here. Uh, don't, don't jump the fence. And the other one is to say that in your marriage, then it needs to be loving, honouring and holy. You know, there's, there's no, as I said before, there's no rights in a sense when you're married. You can't demand sex off your partner if you're married and you're not to just withhold it from your partner because you want to punish them either or, or keep them in line or, or, you know, do things to sort of... This is a control issue, isn't it? Both are control issues, aren't they? I'm not saying which sex of the partner's doing this, but either, it doesn't matter who it is. There's no right that you make the person have it. There's no right that you withhold it from them to try and control them and use them. Because both of them are harmful, aren't they? They hurt. They're painful. So in a marriage, don't jump the fence and think about how you can be loving, honouring and holy in that relationship with them, with your wife or with your husband. You've got to work hard at it. Don't just think that it happens. 
got to work hard at doing that. I'm going to put something up in a minute that will hopefully be helpful with that. Um, because look, it says, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. That is a strong statement, isn't it? No one should take advantage or wrong a brother or sister. So if we're married, we need to remember that. And if we're not married, we need to remember that too. Sex isn't just to get your rocks off. It's the loving, honouring and holy. It's a challenge, isn't it? And it's a challenge too when we think about, uh, not just in regards to this, but when we think about the whole uh, child um, uh, sexual abuse that's been going on in our churches. Read that verse and man! Because God says people will be punished for it. They'll be held accountable for that. We've got to be thinking about that, don't we? Uh, we in our denomination have some pretty strict trial protection things. We make people uh, do courses. Uh, you've got to sign things. You've got to get it legally done. And some people I know find that really a pain. Why do we have to do that? Well, we have to do that because some sinful people have done the exact opposite. And our kids have been in danger and there should be never a place in a church that's loving where kids are in danger. It should never happen. We should put in place anything that possibly stops that. That is a disgrace and a huge black mark on us. It's horrible and we need to repent of it. And then it goes the same too, doesn't it? For those of you who aren't married... It's the same. Sex is not just for you and it's not for you to use and abuse and just to get and have. It's not just so you feel good or accepted or those sorts of things. It's far bigger and more beautiful than that. Can I encourage you in that? Can I encourage all of us in that? Because you see, God is the God of sex as well not God of and then just puts a bit of it to the side. He's the God of sex as well. And he desires you to have that in the proper place, in the right context, in the right motive. And we need to be looking at ourselves, don't we, and thinking about, well, do we shut God down from that? Have we actually walked away from Jesus in that? Have we closed the door on our bedroom on that? Have we covered up our computer on that? Have we pulled the sheets over that? Have we put Jesus to the side on that part and said, no, 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 that's not part of my life, that he, and I'm walking with him in that. Now I'm going to talk later about forgiveness because that's really, really important too. But at this point in time, Paul is saying, don't go there. Don't go there. Because God loves you. And he knows what's best for you. And he desires what's best for you. And what's best for you is... Pleasing sex, God-pleasing sex is heterosexual, monogamous, married, loving, honouring and holy sex. That's what it is. Now, can I encourage you in that? There's a few things I want to encourage you to do. Uh, if you are married, then I want you to encourage you to work on this. You say, the minister's telling us to work on sex. Yes, I am. Uh, because it is part of it. It's a part of who we are. 
a vitally important part of who we are, and in marriage, it's a vitally important part of what we do. Uh, just this year, Karina got, uh, I'm, I'm assuming she's uh, signed up to this. Uh, it's a website, it's called The Penners. They have written a number of books uh, on this whole area. They're, uh, I think, psychologists and sexual therapists, and they're Christian, and they write books about this. Okay, there's the website. Check it out. Uh, they have uh, 52 great ideas to increase your sex life. They've got how to have better sex for women, how to have better sex for men. They've got great things, but they're from a Christian perspective. Because they know that this is where we jump the fence most often. And saying, well, we need to work on this part of our relationship as well. So look that up. It's a great website, some great uh, resources there. Karina, I've read one of books or two of their books. Uh, really, really helpful. Um, I reckon this is probably one of the best books I've read on it. It's called Sheet Music by a guy called Dr. Kevin Lehman. Again, uh, sexologists, they're called. Uh, grab this book, read it with your wife, your husband. Uh, spend some time together going through it. Uh, because it's about relationship, isn't it? It's about talking it through as well. Uh, you'll find out when you read it, the very first thing is actually communication is where it starts. Um, but great books to talk about it, okay? Let me encourage you in that. If you're struggling, and if you're struggling specifically with porn, uh, they would say that in our world today, the pornography industry is probably one of the biggest industries in the world. Uh, on the internet, it's the most hit uh, area or topic of anything. It is huge, it is phenomenal. Uh, if you're struggling with this, and lots of uh, people are, and lots of Christians are, uh, this is a great website, it's called Fight the New Drug. Go on and have a look. They've got some great stuff about how to work through it, how to, how to get out of it, uh, but also some great testimonies of people who've been caught in it, and some great testimonies about, I don't know whether you know, but the whole pornography industry is the biggest drive of human trafficking in the world. So the pornography industry is the biggest drive of that because they're actually getting people, girls, boys, men, the whole works, uh, putting them into slavery uh, for the sex trade and for the pornography industry. It's a really challenging thing, isn't it? When you're looking at that and watching that, you are aiding and abetting the sex slave industry throughout the world. Someone said to me, remind the people that you're looking at on there, it could either be your brother or your sister, or they're someone's daughter or someone's son. It's a challenge, isn't it? But it's real, and we need to be real, because God's real. God's not faith in it. God doesn't turn his eyes and say, oh, I'm not looking at that porn, so I don't know that's happening out there. He knows that, and he weeps over that. And he wants us to grow out of that, because he wants what's best for us. Because you see, the answer's there. The living to please God, the able to move out of this and away from this, is there, it's in the passage. Look what it says there. It says, not in passages like the pagans who do not know God. Because when we head this past, when we jump that fence, what we do is we shut God out, don't we? We let go of Jesus and we decide to walk off on our own track. We actually move away. The way to come back is actually come back to God, to know him. 
You see, what I mean, knowing God in the, in the Bible is not just here, it's here and then it's your whole life. That's what pleasing God is, is knowing God. It's learning to know Him and know Him through Jesus who gave up everything for you. Getting to know God is getting closer to Him, spending time with Him, getting to understand who He is, understanding how much you're loved and cared for, knowing that He wants what's best for you and He knows what's best because He created us and made us. And then trusting in that and walking in that. And we need to do that together, don't we? How do we know God? We know God through His Word as we see Jesus and through His Spirit as He enlivens that and enlivens that and through each other. Because God puts us around each other to encourage us in that. And sometimes we need to be accountable to each other in that and help each other grow in that. We want to encourage each other with that, guys. It's in knowing Him and growing in Him that we start to live to please Him. Because if we know Him and grow in Him, then we know what His will is for us. And His will is for us to be sanctified, as the, in the verse it says, and to be sanctified is to become more like Jesus, which is to know Him more. You know, if you're ever going around thinking, oh, what's God's will for me? I don't know what it is. Well, we know it. It's to become more like Jesus. It may not be. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what job to have or what person to marry or, or what church to go to, but it does say that you're to be sanctified, to become more like Jesus in any of those circumstances and situations. So when you want to know what God's will is, it's to become more like Him. It's to live to please Him, to become loving more and more the people around you. Because you see, the way out of sexual impurity, the way out of jumping the fence, the way out of pornography is actually seeking to love others, isn't it? Knowing that we're loved desperately by God and seeking to love others. Because as we love others, we want what's best for them and we won't jump the fence. We won't seek pornography because that's not what's loving the people on the screen or loving you. It's loving others. Paul goes on, doesn't he, and uh, he moves from there. And he talks about living to please God and he starts off with our sexual lives. Our sexual lives are to be lived to please him. Then he goes on and talks about our life with each other. It's about loving one another. And then he goes on to talk about your life at work. That we are to be people who are involved in our work and not idle. He says if you become idle, then you become gossipers. And when you become gossipers, that's not good. Doesn't it? Idle hands, they say. We are designed to work, guys. We're designed to be involved in things. You know, the word busy is not a bad busy if it's involved in the things that God wants us to do. Not to use an excuse not to do what he wants us to do, uh, but we're actually supposed to be on about stuff. And as we live that life out quietly, he says, and that brings glory to God because ultimately all of this is about showing how great God is and how wonderful he is. And we are the people on the ground that are to show the world how great God is. That's crazy, isn't it? That God would allow us to be part of that. I'm not sure it was a great plan, Lord, but that's the plan he's got. He's trusting us in that. He wants us to do that. He wants us to please him in that. Now, there's some tough stuff, isn't there, amongst that? And I want to encourage you in that. And I want to encourage you that you notice that it's not just Paul says... Well, here's a law and here's a law and here's another law. He hasn't just set out the ten things not 
to live a sexually impure life. He hasn't set out the 10 things of how to do it. Uh, it's interesting that, isn't it, that it, he actually says it's all about love and grace. He says this is how it is to please God, but we are to live it out. So in one sense, we sometimes uh, like to have things just black and white all the time. I mean, well, tick that one off, tick that one off, tick that one off, tick that one off. Well, actually, no, God's saying, actually, well, how do you love someone in that? How do you love someone when you're thinking about that other person that seems more attractive than your spouse? How do you love them well and love your spouse well in that because it's not going to end pretty if you step that line? When you're sitting in front of the computer screen, how am I loving that person? What, what am I doing? How am I loving my future partner or my future spouse or my current spouse as I'm involved in that? It's a question we need to ask all the time is how am I loving the person around you and the people that are in my life and how is that pleasing God? And everyone here in this room cannot throw a stone. None of us. None of us should sit here this morning and say that's for the person over there and not me. It's for all of us. And it doesn't matter what age you are. It's for every one of us, guys. And the great news that you don't see specifically in this passage, but you see it throughout the scriptures, is that God calls us back to himself and offers us forgiveness. If you have jumped the fence, if you are looking at the screens, if you have had thoughts, if you have acted upon... We're all from different backgrounds here and I don't know all your stories but I would guarantee that every one of us at some point in time has not lived a life pleasing to God in regards to our sexual life. But God offers forgiveness in that, doesn't he? He says, come to me and I'll make you clean and I'll make you pure. I'll give you a new heart. I'll cleanse you. I'll make you white again. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says that this is what you once were. You were these type of people, but now you're here because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He has cleansed you. He has transformed you. He has forgiven you. He has drawn you back in. And he grabs your hand and he says, walk beside me again. That is wonderful news, isn't it? That is the good news of the gospel, that we're not trapped. We don't have to stay there. There is light, there is hope, there is a way out in Jesus. He offers us forgiveness, he cleanses us and then he enables us by his Holy Spirit to beat it and to walk with him again. That is the wonderful news of the gospel, guys. It's a wonderful news for you and it's a wonderful news for me. And I'm so thankful to God because without it I'd be stuck in my sin forever. A life pleasing to a God is a life that seeks to love others. A life that seeks to walk a life close to Jesus, hand in hand with him in every part of our life. That's the life he has for you. That's the life he desires for you. That's the life he wants for you because that's the life to the full. That's the life that's going to lead to eternity. That's the life that's going to be with him forever. That's the life he's got for all of us. Let's thank God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just take a moment to sit in that.
Lord, we ask for forgiveness in areas of our life that we haven't lived to please you. And specific, Lord, in areas of our sexual life that we haven't lived to please you. Lord, it's so tempting. The grass certainly looks greener. But, Lord, the grass is deadly. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you give us uh, the way that we are to live, that you show us a life that is to be lived for you, a life of purity and holiness and honour, a life that brings glory to you, Lord, the life that will satisfy and the life that is life to the full. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you forgive us that you transform us, that you take our hearts and all those blots of sin that have been poured upon us and we keep doing, Lord, but you take them and you nail them to the cross. And your resurrection, Lord, you promise us new life, a life to live for you and we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we can beat that sin, that we can beat that trap, we can beat that addiction, Lord, in you. Lord, you've placed and given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your people. Lord, you've given us people who are wise and can help us through things like this, Lord. I thank you and praise you for that, Lord. Lord, may we rest in you in this, Lord. May we trust you in this, Lord. May we accept your forgiveness in this, Lord. And may we go on to live lives that please you in every way. We ask this desperately, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.